Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and live turkeys everywhere breathing a sigh of relief. It's Thursday at three o'clock, and you know what that means. Live from the Michigan State University campus and live from Chowchilla, California, it's Tea with BBP. I'm your host, Bill Van Patten, AKA BBP, international superstar and your own personal diva of SLA. And speaking of live turkeys, here are the two very best drumsticks in my <laughs> banquet of life. My co-hosts, Angelica Kramer and Walter Hopkins. How are you guys doing? Gobble, 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 gobble. <laughs> oh, I, I think I was great. doing a lot better before I was called a turkey. I don't know. Nah, turkeys are no, cute. No, I didn't call you a turkey. I said no, you're drumstick. my favorite drumsticks yep. on the banquet of oh, life. Oh, that's true. That's that's pretty you amazing. Got to pay attention. Yep. You got to Walter be one of those people in the in a conference about input class who would just like zone out, you know, <laughs> paying attention like half the time. I think I don't know what. The question is, <laughs> how are you, Bill? We miss you. Ah, well, well, let me do my welcome to everybody first, and I'll tell you how I am. Thank you for asking. So, welcome, 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 everyone out there in our audience. Welcome to the last day of November. It's November thirtieth. That's crazy. You know what that means, Angelica, right? That tomorrow is December first, and we get to open the first door of the Advent calendar. Uh, there you go. And it also means that today is no. today is Daniel Trago's birthday. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. So our own, our technical producer, it's Daniel Trago's birthday today. So I want everybody out there in Twitter land and Mixler and everything to give a shout out to Daniel Trago because without him, the show would not work. Are we going to sing for him? No, oh, not right now. <coughs> I can't believe I can't believe oh, wait, it. No. I can't believe it's November 30th. I really I can't. I mean, my God. I mean, I the time it's is payday. flying by means. so. <laughs> I mean, the time 30th. is flying yeah, by so fast. Yeah. I feel like Matthew McConaughey and in Interstellar. I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous. Um, so anyway, so back to your question about how I am. I did not make it to act full, as you know. I was not feeling well. And then I got a little bit better, actually, with the weekend. By Friday afternoon, Saturday morning of the act full weekend, I was better. But then the day after Thanksgiving, boom, again, I was two mm. days out. Um, and I tell you, this diverticulosis is the gift that keeps on giving, but I have resisted antibiotics, went to my doctor twice last week and this week, and now I'm having other tests done. So everybody out there wished me well that my tests are not, they're not, they're not about my diverticulosis, by the way, they're about other things. And so just cross your fingers. They're okay. Good. One good thing is I did get to binge watch some TV. And While what I was did lying you around, watch? Unable to do anything. Golden Girls. I watched. I got hooked on. This is due to Eric Kerman, by the way. I got hooked on Stranger Things on Netflix. Yes, excellent. Good show. So now I'm halfway through the second season, and so nice. there you go. It's 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 hard once you start binge watching. I it's know. Broadchurch three. Broadchurch season three is out. Fantastic. Oh, gosh, gosh. Um. Anyway, so what we're going to do today, everybody, is finalize what would have been the last show before Actful. So we were on a countdown to Actful. We didn't get to finish our countdown. So today is our post-Actful, pre-Actful countdown. Does that make sense? <laughs> our post-Actful, pre-Actful finalize. I think it makes sense. Finalization of the countdown. Oh, gosh. I tell you, I do feel like Matthew McConaughey in Interstellar. I really, uh, this time, I'm in a time warp or something. Anyway, so um, well, at least it's not Groundhog's have... Day, that, you know, where it just keeps happening over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. That's true. That would be that probably be worse. Yes, there's there's some days I do not want to repeat. Let me tell you. Um, anyway, so today our focus is we're gonna because we we're gonna finalize our countdown before Actful. 
Um, today, our focus is going to be on chapter six of my book and what we call focus on form and input enhancement. So we'll get to that a little bit later. Just want to remind everybody um, that that's what our focus is and that's what we're going to do. That's what I'm going to do. So why do you get to sing and we can't sing for Dan? Because it's tea with BBP, not tea with Walter and Angelica. That's too bad. Yeah, fair enough. No, we know know where we are on the totem pole. Hey, hey, remember, I'm the main dish and you guys are the two drumsticks. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm bummed. Just kidding. Just kidding. All right. So remember that during the show, everybody out there, there's the SLA challenge question. I will give you the question in a few minutes. And the first person to get a call in with the correct answer wins a prize. One of our many, many, many Tea with BVP swag prizes. So keep your cell phone close by when you hear that question. Dial in with the correct answer. The same for the Diva Challenge question. That will come up later. I'll read that question at some point. And you'll have time to pick up uh, the phone, punch in our number. And again, Dustin is on the phone lines waiting for you. Tell him, hey, I know the answer to that Diva question. And then he'll put you through and you can try and answer it. And if you get it right, you get a prize too. Remember, if you call in for both those prizes or you just call in anyway, you get a chance to win what, Walter? You get a chance to win the lovely parting gift. Oh, wait, no, the book called While We're on the Topic. Signed, yes. too. Yes. Signed. And you get a you get signature a pers- in it. How mm-hmm. exciting. You get a personally signed copy to you of my book, While We're on the Topic. So call in, um, and no matter who calls in, your name goes in the hat, and we draw at the end of the show. And this is the and last time we're doing it. that, right? Yep. Yeah, because this is the finalized post-actful, pre-actful countdown. <laughs> <laughs> so... The number to reach us at is 517-884-4321. Again, that's 517-884-4321. Again, Dustin is on the phone lines waiting for your call. Angelica will be there looking at Mixler, um, and she will be prodding you to call in if you're if you're chatting on there. And uh, Walter will be picking up the um, Tea with BBP emails that are waiting for us that come in during the hour. But we are a call-in-talk show, so we'd like you to call in and talk to us. That's what a call-in-talk show means. It means call in and talk. So uh, pick up the phone. And again, Angelica, Walter, what's our phone number? Take it away. 517-884-4321. There you go. You, are, you two are so multi-talented. We You're more are. than drum. You're more than drumsticks. <laughs> I'm going to throw the wings in. You're the drumsticks nice, and the wings. Nice, nice, <laughs> Yes. We're well, the wind beneath your wings. <laughs> sing it for us now. <laughs> <laughs> Which diva sings that song? That's come on, not do you the know diva that question, question for today. Angelica, come on. You are the wind beneath my wings. Bill's favorite diva. Bette Midler. Bette Midler. Yay! <laughs> I'm putting your name hey, in the hat. Hey, will my name go in the hat? No yes. kidding. I would like to have a signed copy. God, you better know that. She won record of the year in 1989 for that Grammy. Better of course, know that. of course. Yeah, of course I go. knew that. 1989, it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, just just give a little signal to Luca, by the way, through the glass before I, I give the SLA challenge question that there's nothing in my Trello, um, that it's just all oh, like. Oh, yeah. It's like last week or the week before. Exactly, it's not because sh- it's not Luca's Trello, that's why. No, I've got Luca tre- Lucas Trello up. No, 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 but he's not man- manning the Trello today. Oh, he's not. Okay, well then, that's why I'm not seeing anything. Yep. Okay, I'm going to wing it then. I'm going to wing it then. You guys are going to have to tell me because I can't see here. I don't have yeah, the Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get you Trello on. Up. No worries. 
All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and give the SLA challenge question now because it's related to our topic today and focus on form. So <clears throat> get your pens out, kids, um, and write the question down and the answer and call in. Um, so here's the SLA challenge question. It's about text enhancement. It goes like this. Text enhancement is predicated on what hypothesis? A, the noticing hypothesis, B, the input hypothesis, or C, the interaction hypothesis. I shall repeat. Text enhancement is predicated on what hypothesis? A, the noticing hypothesis, B, the input hypothesis, or C, the interaction hypothesis. So call in with your answer to that question and win a prize. Okay, so um, I guess that means it's time for me to get into the topics. Is it time for me to get into the topic again? I can't. Yeah, yes, let's get into the topic. All right, so we're gonna talk about, we're gonna talk about focus on form and input enhancement. This comes out of, actually out of chapter six of my book. So let me tell you what, if those of you who have my book know this, each chapter is organized around a principle of contemporary communicative and proficiency-oriented language teaching. Um, and so each week we reviewed a principle um, that is actually the title of the chapter and talks something about some content in the chapter. And so this week is chapter six and the principle is this. It says, any focus on form, that is grammatical form, any focus on form, should be input-oriented and meaning-based, right? Again, in, in that principle, form refers largely to grammatical form. I mean, there's such thing as lexical form, but we're most of us concerned about grammatical form. In addition to grammatical form is also sentence structure, because grammatical form is often related to like word endings, noun endings, verb endings, articles, things like that. Um, and then there's sentence structure, which is overall how the, how sentences, how the words combine to make a sentence. That's also uh, grammatical form. So let's first get some terminology out there. Originally, the, the concept focus on form, uh, which was coined by Michael Long back, I think, in 1990 or 91, something like that. Um, in, his, in his publication, it was originally referred to somehow providing indirect feedback uh, to learners during a communicative event. Okay, so, so a person is engaged with a learner in some kind of communicative event, and something happens that indirect feedback is provided. And it's called indirect because you're not directly telling the learner something's wrong, but by the flow of communication, you're indicating that there's a communication problem. And that provides the indirect feedback that there's something wrong. So classic examples of this include recasts and confirmation checks um, or uh, comprehension um, checks. So for example, uh, Walter says to me, uh, he, he come last night. And, um, and he no happy. So I say, what, he came to your house last night? Is that what you're saying? And Walter goes, yeah, and he not happy. And so what I did there in my um, comprehension check, or I was just, I was actually verifying what Walter said, right? I wanted to make sure he was talking about last night and so on. Um, and so I said it in the form of a question and it was not a direct feedback. I didn't tell Walter, you did something wrong. I just said, what? So he came last night and he wasn't happy. Is that what you're saying? And so Walter says, yes, he's not happy. Um, so that's an example of indirect feedback. Another example would be if you simply recast. So Walter says again, oh, he come my house last night. He's he not happy. I go, okay, so he came to your house and what? He wasn't happy. What? 
So I just recasted, or I, can I recast it? Is that the past tense? Yeah, I recasted what Walter said, uh, but um, I didn't literally overtly correct him. So all those kinds of things, focus on formas, are indirect feedback mechanisms um, that happen naturally during some kind of communicative event. And these actually happen in um, first language environments too, first language events. So Angelica and I could be talking, she could be saying something and I go, wait, wait a minute, Angelica, Walter said, what do you, he, he, can you say that again? And she says, yeah, he said, blah, blah, blah. I, you know, Angelica speaks English like a native speaker. And so what I'm doing is I'm just verifying what I heard. Did I hear you correctly? We do these things all the time in natural communicative events. So it's not just a second language thing, but the way we talk about them in second language things is, is as indirect feedback because that's what people like to talk about. <laughs> Um, even though these things are prevalent and present in first language communicative context as well. Okay, so that's what focus on form originally meant. It has evolved over the years to, to mean just about any kind of focus on form, which we'll get to in a minute. The term input enhancement includes focus on form, but is broader because it can include pre-planned activities. Um, so in other words, focus on form originally was in the communicative event, in the moment, you provide some kind of indirect feedback through your interaction with the learner. Um, whereas input enhancement can mean that, but it can also mean pre-planned things such as text enhancement, processing instruction, and other activities. So text enhancement, for example, I think everybody knows or should know, is you might provide a, a short text and something that you want the learners to notice, um, ha ha ha, um, is highlighted in the text. So all the past tendings might be highlighted. Or if it's passes, you might highlight all the passes. You might put them in a different color. And now that we have PowerPoint, there's all kinds of neat things we can do to highlight um, and enhance that text for visually for the learner. Orally, it means you can add extra emphasis on a word or something, or um, you can talk louder, or you can add a pause after you say something. Um, so the idea is that input enhancement means you just somehow enhance the input to make something stand out a little more. Now, um, the two most researched things, as I said earlier, the focus on form has evolved. It no longer means for a lot of people just the moment by moment indirect or your response to a learner's, what a learner says and you provide indirect feedback. Um, now it just means almost any kind, it's almost equivalent to input enhancement. It means almost any kind of, um, of focusing on form, whether it's pre-planned or not, or in the moment. Now, the two most researched things in focus on form and input enhancement are recasts and processing instruction. Um, but before I, you know, I don't want to get into, uh, I, we can later on talk about what the findings are of those kinds of research, but let's just couch more broadly that the research on focus on form and on input enhancement is kind of problematic. Um, and I, I, I say this to someone who's been working in the field of instructed SLA for a long time. Um, the research is problematic for a number of reasons. Um, the first is that it's not always, the research that is, is not always tied to some bigger theory of second language acquisition, specifically what process we think we're affecting. So a lot of people write, they'll, they'll publish an article and it's not quite clear how they're conceptualizing second language acquisition. And a lot of um, research on, on focus on form has lost sight of the bigger picture of how second language acquisition happens and the constraints on it. Um, so that's a problem. Uh, equally problematic is that the assessments used in the research are overwhelmingly biased toward explicit knowledge and not any kind of implicit knowledge. So that's a major problem because, you know, we're only really ultimately concerned about implicit knowledge. 
Um, now, the question becomes, do we have tools currently to measure implicit knowledge? We're starting to get there. So it's, you know, the, the field is, is sort of burdened by what it's got at its disposal to do research, but still we're getting there. So the point is that if you read research and you think the outcomes say something positive, you should ask yourself, what are they really measuring and how are they measuring it? That's an important question. And finally, the research on focus on form and input enhancement is problematic because the effects that are shown in the research are not long lasting. They fade rather quickly. Um, now, I know there are some people who say, oh, they'll write an article and say the, the, the research on focus on form and input enhancement shows durative effects. Well, durative then means like a month later, you can still see effects. But if you go back four months later, five months later, the effects are gone. We have no research that shows any effects past that time period. Uh, in fact, a few handful of studies we do have on long-term effects show that they're just gone, with the exception of processing instruction. We can talk about that later. Now, from a teaching point of view, the problem for teachers who are trying to be consumers of this research on focus on form and input enhancement and are being told to supplement your class or do this or do that is that there's a lot of bad, I'm going to just say it, so I'm going to get yelled at. We're going to get at, you're going to get mixlerized on this, Angelica. We're going to get, <laughs> we're going to get something. Someone's going to call in on me on this because this is, my perception is, and I'm, I'm saying it's my perception, is that a lot of interpretations of the research um, are bad or they're flawed. And so teachers are, are read something um, and they're told the research says X and it really doesn't. Um, just think about those three main problems I just showed you about focus on form research. It's not tied in the broader picture of SLA or any real theory. Um, and it doesn't take into consideration the constraints we know there are on second language acquisition. Second thing is the problematic problems of assessment and how you measure something in this kind of research. And that the research has shown that the effects fade relatively quickly uh, in time. Um, so um, I won't name any particular people or organizations, um, but some actually advocate particular approaches to grammar. They're telling teachers, do this in the classroom. This is what it means to be good practice in the classroom with, as teachers. But the problem with that is that th what they're proposing and what they're telling people to do is really at best speculative. I mean, speculative in the sense that that there's th these, these proposals are under-researched and there's not a lot of research that shows um, what I just talked about earlier, that there's an effect on an implicit knowledge, that the, that the effects of what you're doing are long-lasting and so on. Um, so the problem that teachers have is trying to interpret this research is they're told things sometimes when actually if you really pick it apart carefully, um, it's a little, there's a little bit of shaky ground this stuff is on, if I'm being generous, shaky ground. Um, and sometimes what you hear is the, the current consensus is X. Well, consensus is not a very good term. Just, I think consensus does not mean that the research points to a particular thing. I think it's actually a rhetorical device that some people use to avoid admitting that, although the research, that the, to avoid admitting that the research is equivocal, actually. Uh, and problematic. I think that's why people use the term consensus. Instead of saying the research clearly points to X, it doesn't clearly point to anything is the problem. And very often what people say in writing when they use consensus is this is what, what I believe or what people believe, but not what their research can actually show. Okay, so let's be clear about two things. I'm gonna wrap up here right now. Let's be clear about two things before we open the phone lines and go to Mixler and, and our other modes of communication. Two things are this. Um, first is that research on focus on form and input enhancement um, has not shown that they are necessary. Uh, at best, they show that the stuff is beneficial. 
Um, and no research has shown that the natural processes of acquisition can be circumvented or overwritten by teaching grammar. It, it's just, we haven't shown that. After 40 years plus years of research, um, there's just no evidence that the underlying processes are actually overridden. Um, so let's just make that clear. The second thing is this, just because you can focus on form doesn't mean you have to, um, and I actually say this in my book, um, but if you do, then just keep in mind the guiding principle of chapter six and what I talk about in that, in that chapter that um, any focus on form, if you do do it in class, any focus on form should be input-oriented and meaning-based. In other words, you can't delink form from how it works in language um, in terms of uh, meaning, and you can't delink it from how acquisition happens, which is language acquisition happens through input. So with that in mind, I am done talking about the topic, and I'm willing to take comments, challenges, concerns, questions, all that kind of stuff. Well, we actually have a um, caller. And actually, a... yes, if you check your email, you have the link to the correct Trello bill. Well, I can't do that right now while okay, I, unless you guys, deal, talk, for, unless no, you guys talk for that's, five minutes. That is, no, that's, that, that, we that's don't have all right. That we can time. manage it. No, absolutely. So we do have a caller on the line. It's Isabel from Houston. Isabel, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Hello. Hi, Isabel. How are you doing? You're calling from Houston, Hi. right? Yes. How's I am Houston in my today? classroom with my students. We're oh, great. 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 What level? What level students? Who are they? Uh, this is level three. Level three and what language? Spanish. Spanish. Great. Okay, Isabel. So what are you in your class calling about? What's up? Uh, they're working on a project right now. They're um, reading, actually it's related to reading. They're reading different articles about bioconstruction. And uh, they, they're reading it. They're creating a poster that uh, is going to reflect the main ideas, vocabulary they, find, they found interesting, and then they're going to present what they read about. Okay. So it sounds like you're doing some kind of project-based learning or something, right? Yes. Okay. And actually, so what's your question? What's she's, your comment? She's calling in about the SLA challenge question. Oh, okay. Okay. So, Isabel, you're calling about the SLA challenge question? Is that what you're calling about? Yes, sir. Oh, okay. Well, then let me repeat the question for everybody, and then um, you can give your answer. So here goes the question. Text enhancement is predicated on what hypothesis? A, the noticing hypothesis, B, the input hypothesis, or C, the interaction hypothesis? What do you say, Isabel? Okay. What's the answer? Okay, I am going to let um, my students, they want to answer the question, and hopefully we'll have it right. This is okay. Katie. Hello? Hello, hey what's your name? This is Caden, and I am uh, answering the question on behalf of Miss Hill's Spanish class. Well, great, Caden. Okay, so what's the answer? B. B, input the input hypothesis. Okay, and I hate to tell you this, you're not going to win a prize today, you and your class. We would have sent you all a prize, but that's not the correct answer. I'm so sorry. Okay. But it was a good guess. That would have been the second. That would have been the second choice, but not the first choice. Thank you. So, well, thank you, Caden. You're going to put your teacher back on? Thank you for having us on. I'm putting Absolutely. her back on. Oh, thank, you. thank you for right. calling. Thank you. All right. Isabel, you're back on the line? Nope. Yes. I guess they hang up. 
No, oh, there, there she okay. is. Sorry, Isabel. Um, that was the incorrect answer. So um, we can't send you a prize. I'm so sorry. That's okay. No problem. But we really appreciate you and your class calling. That's great. But you yeah, are still in the drawing right for a book. But you are in no, the drawing yes, for a copy of my book. So your name that's will go okay. in the hat for that. doing your shows. Okay. Well, thanks. Okay. All right. Thanks bye -bye. for calling. Bye, Isabel. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, so the question's still out there, audience. Poor Isabel and her class. Caden, what a great guy to step up to the phone. Right. It sounds like she's got good classes, yep, right? Absolutely. And I like what she's doing. Project in my book, I talk about project-based learning in the chapter on tasks. That's more appropriate for higher levels. Like level three and level four, you could do some interesting projects. It's a little bit harder to do in the earlier levels. Um, but good for her. And she's got them actually doing input-based, text-based kind of stuff, which is appropriate for probably for that level. So good for her. I have a Mixler right. question for you. All right. You have a Mixler question. Go. So Nina is asking, would enhanced input be what TPRS and CI folks call targeted input versus non-targeted? Um, targeted input versus non-targeted input? Um, would that be input enhancement? No. That would, well, it could be. That, that It's kind of like an input flood because what you have in um, – and TPRS and, and those kinds of classes is uh, a wall list, for example, in which you have what they call structures. And some are grammatical structures and some are lexical structures or words. So, um, and what you do is you keep embedding those in as you're building the story with your class, for example. And you keep using them over and over and over and over again. And I don't do TPRS in my class, but I do something very similar. I'll start off with what I, I do task room and stuff. And I just, I just embed these things in my input over and over and over again. Um, and that's called an input flood. Um, and that's a kind of input enhancement. Winnie talks about that in her book on input enhancement, a 2005 book, which I highly recommend everybody. Um, we'll ask Ryan to put that on the um, site for everybody. It's a very easy, easy, easily readable book for all teachers. It's written for, for lay people and researchers alike. So um, input flood just means you use things a lot in your input over and over and over again. You don't highlight them in any way. You don't, you don't use emphasis in your voice. You just use them a lot and a lot and a lot and a lot. Um, and so that's, that's how I would categorize that. So input flood is a type of input enhancement. Okay. Technically, yes. Can you clarify, um, is, is input enhancement only related to written texts only when you read? No, as I was saying earlier, oral input, um, you can also, um, say something loudless, like you can say, luego llegó, for like he came and you keep highlighting, you keep um, uh, or he arrived, I should say, here you go, he arrived. So you might stress extra the verbs that you're, you're trying to get your learners to hear. Um, so you could do an, an oral enhancement through, through um, louder voice or slowing down. Y luego, llegó. That would be a way to enhance your oral input. So you can enhance oral input as well. Um, again, usually through louder voice, slowing down at a certain point. Um, adding a pause afterwards and consistently doing that. So the thing you want highlighted is highlighted over and over again, uh, particularly at the beginning of a class, for example, if you're going to use that thing over and over in class, then at the beginning you highlight it. Then afterwards you don't have to highlight it because it's already been highlighted in your voice a couple of times. So yes, you can do input enhancement orally, but it, the mo the, uh, that's not really been researched. What's been researched is the written text enhancement. Um, so yeah. Got it. Thank you. Okie dokies. Um, so what do we got up next? We got, um, let's see, we got the SLA challenge question out there. Um, 
Should I do the look at some of the Twitter responses? Do yeah, we have that would be great. And in? actually, you should be able to see Trello now and Luca's feed. Okay, okay, okay. I do see it now. Oh yeah, there it is on my screen. Look at that. Hello. Okay, I'm going to do a couple of things. Luca put out some nice questions for the show this week, um, and uh, he asked people um, about focus on form and input enhancement. Uh, and we got some great things of people say, eager to discover input enhancement. Is it visuals, uh, fuller embedded reading, curious, um, and so on. Um, and uh, Lake, for example, said, I believe in input enhancement is auditory, what we were just talking about with that one clarification from Angelica. Um, stress, slowed speech, or visual, bold text, underline, and so on. Um, so Lake was right there with us on that. Um, and then Longinus asked the question, focus on forms, with a question mark, um, because Mike Long does make a distinction between focus on form and focus on forms. Focus on forms, according to Mike Long, is the traditional grammatical syllabus where you teach forms in and of themselves. So now this week we're doing the present tense and next week we're doing the stem changing verbs and the next week we're doing the reflexive verb and so on. That's focus on forms. What's focus on form is just during a conversation, if something's not clear, you recast it to make sure you understand, you do a confirmation check, whatever, because um, you're providing indirect feedback on what the person said, and that's unplanned, whereas focus on forms is planned through a syllabus. Okay, uh, Luca also asked a question about input-rich environments and communicative contemporary classrooms. He said, is there any role for focusing on grammar? And uh, some people said, uh, jokingly, for example, Sandro said, on demand, learn and listenated, perhaps, uh, well, if we have time and depending on my mood. <laughs> and he puts, so no, never. <laughs> I guess his mood is never. He wants, doesn't want to do it ever. <laughs> um, and then uh, Magister says, of course, uh, though my guiding questions are always for whom and when. And I would also say for what purpose. I would add on not just for whom or when, but also for what purpose. I think that we got to be careful that that there's no, there's no harm in providing learners with information on grammar. What you got to be careful of is that if, if the acquisition of grammar becomes your goal in the class, then you've gone off the path. But if knowledge about grammar is just something that is incidental to your class, or you take time out because people are just curious about something, and, and I doubt if eight-year-olds or nine-year-olds are curious about grammar, but adolescents and adults might be. Um, then you can spend time talking about stuff because that's just part of intellectual curiosity. But it's when you make that your goal, that's the problem because then you're getting off the path of proficiency in communication or in classrooms. Um, and let's see here. Um, Derek says, at the upper levels, I suppose there's an argument to be made. I had to make a comparative grammar class. I had to take a comparative grammar class in college, but I am already proficient with an L2. At lower levels, grammar instruction probably Ain't, isn't accomplishing much. Um, and that's probably true in the sense of it's kind of, like I said, the research shows it kind of goes away. So um, at least um, if we're honest, it goes away. There's no, no, no long-term effects of any kind of focus on form that I know of. And someone can call and correct me, but I don't think so. I don't, well, I wrote on this back in 2004, I did a study in processing instruction, we looked at the extant research at that time uh, on long-term effects where people go back like nine months later, eight months later, a year later, and the effects are gone. 
Uh, and I don't think there's been any research since then. And again, there are only a handful of studies, so. All right, what else do we have? Anything in Mixler, anything going on? Before, I think we have a call coming up in a minute here. I want to see. Yeah, I do have another question. Diane is asking um, about input enhancement. Is doing things like bigger font sizes and spacing words in a script that usually does not space words something that should be called input enhancement? It's for a different purpose, sort of for comprehensibility, not so much to draw attention to form. Is that still considered input enhancement? Well, again, the, the purpose of input enhancement is to draw attention to something. So if that's not the purpose, then it's not input enhancement. You're doing something else. Um, <clears throat> uh, so if you're like, if you're, um, for, you know, we do this all the time. If you look at my book, for example, there are things that are bolded in my book. And then the first question at the end of every chapter is, go back through the chapter and make a list of all the items that were bolded and see if you can explain that concept on your own. And the reason they're bolded is to draw your attention to them. So I have done, for example, text enhancement in my book, not to draw your attention to grammar, but to draw your attention to concepts. Um, and so that's a form of text enhancement. So, um, so if, it, if the idea is to draw your attention to something, then yes. But if not, then no. Got it. That's Thank you. I can say about that. Okay, we got another call on the line. We have, uh, let's see if I can pronounce the name correctly. I'm reading it funny on my screen here because the screen's so far from my vision right now. Uh, is it Kondoi? Yes, hello. Hi, we have Kondoi from Indonesia calling. Hi, Indonesia. Hello, it's good, fine. <laughs> How's Indonesia doing, Hi, Indonesia? You... <laughs> oh, yeah, have you been to Indonesia? I have not, I have not. Oh, you have not, maybe sometimes. Yeah, I would love to come visit sometime. So, so what yeah. are you calling about? And, and first of all, what uh, time is it there? What time is it there? Oh, it's three o'clock in the morning. It's tomorrow. What are you doing? My gosh, it's three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we're from the future as well. Yes. Already December there. Matthew McConaughey and in Interstellar. That's what I feel like right now. Let me tell you. Okay. <laughs> so what are you calling about, Kondoi? What's going on? Yeah, first I'd like to answer the SLA challenge. Oh, okay. Well, let me read the question one more okay. time for people. Okay. And yep. you can give an answer. So text enhancement is predicated on what hypothesis? A, the noticing hypothesis, B, the input hypothesis, or C, the interaction hypothesis? You say what, Mr. Kondoy? Uh, maybe uh, according to some <laughs> research on Google. <laughs> maybe it's a, a noticing uh, hypothesis. Uh, ding, 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 you Excellent. are. Yes. Well done, Kondoy. It is the noticing hypothesis. Now, originally it was, it, originally it was uh, Mike Sherwood Smith. Smith, but then, but then, as people adopted Mike Sherwood Smith's ideas about enhancement, they tied it into the noticing hypothesis. So originally, it really wasn't, but now it is firmly rooted in the noticing hypothesis. So yes, good for you. So you win a prize, and also because you call in, yep. your name goes into the hat for a book drawing. So good for you. And Thank actually, you very much. And I'd like to say something. Can I? Please. Uh, make a comment about this song. It's really, really great. It's some kind of a revelation. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, in, go ahead. In, F in FLA world, okay, so uh, in Indonesia, maybe also the same in other parts of the world. And the curriculum, for example, here in Indonesia for master degree for English education, FLA is only an optional, you know, optional subject, optional 
and they can like choose to, not to take uh, the lecture for FLA for a uh, master degree in English education. So I guess it's kind of uh, you know <laughs> it's wrong thing to do. <laughs> hmm. Well, I think and, I think you, this, I, I, go ahead, Kondai. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an English teacher. I'm a private. Uh, I used to, yeah, to teach uh, in junior high school as well. And I've been teaching English for nine years. Um, but I don't, I don't think that my English is <laughs> really good. Um, and uh, so I, I, the first time, you know, uh, something get open, uh, had opened my eyes from Stephen Crescent. And then, and yes, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, from it to the re- uh, revolutionary, yeah, even though maybe uh, I I know from from these shows I have I've listened all the episodes and about SP quarter thing it's it's around the 60s or maybe late 50s already, but still now uh, what is going on is not uh, like that paradigm. It's not like uh, something uh, like people think even in the academic world as you said it's really slow and all the research is like overlapping from the flawed or maybe the wrong paradigm about language and that is language is uh, processing it's not uh, you know things like explicit things and yeah uh, I I just like to say I'd like to say just really really thank you for your shows for uh, BBC and for uh, all of you uh, Angelica and and Walter. Absolutely, thank you for listening. Okay, thank you. Yeah, you're very and I, I, we're so we're so pleased to have a call from Indonesia. So thank you. And if you have any other friends listening, encourage them to listen. We'll take calls from all around the world. I'm sorry that you have to be up at three in the morning to call <laughs> us, <laughs> but. <laughs> No matter what time of day we pick to do our show, someone's not going to be happy somewhere, I can guarantee you. So, And Kondoy, so, can you please um, email us your address so we can send you your prize? If you send an email right, to teawithbvp at gmail.com, that would be great. Okay, I will. Okay. okay. Thank you. Thank you, Kondoy. Uh, if, okay. if, if, I, if I ask only one question, and, and just one question, it's very short. Sure. Maybe you can answer. Okay. So what's your comment about, uh, what is that, uh, a, a book from Vivian Evans, if I'm not wrong. It's about the language myth, that is, language is not instinct, and it's related to, it means language is not related to constraint in the UG, university grammar. grammar. Uh, yeah, just maybe that's the question. Okay, thank you very much, VVV. Okay, all right, thank you. All right, um, okay. Yeah, Okay. I will, I'll, he's going to take his answer off the air, I guess, um, which is fine. Um, yeah, there's, again, I've, I wrote about this in my book. Every once in a while, someone comes along and says, UG is dead, or there's no constraints on language, and language is a myth in the head, and all that kind of stuff. And linguists and theoretical linguists keep, keep plugging along because the theory keeps working. And um, <clears throat> until something actually comes along that can do what linguistic theory does, Linguistic theory is kind of what is the mainstream. Um, I think the problem, I'm going to be honest, I think one of the problems a lot of people don't like about UG and linguistic theory is is twofold. One, people just don't like this idea that there's something innate because it makes it sound like there's no individual differences, which is just false. 
I mean, we see individual differences in child language acquisition. And I mean, we, it, the individual there is just a way of life of everything. So just the fact that you have the innate capacity does not mean that that um, it doesn't allow for individual differences. It just means it puts constraints on what you do. And there must be a reason why only humans have language, not other species. And so, you know, that speaks to something special about language. But the second thing is, a lot of people just don't want to be bothered by the theory because it's too complex. It's overwhelming. Um, when you get down, I mean, one thing is to look at the theory from afar and try to grope with the basics of it. Um, and that's where a lot of people get critical. They don't get in the weeds and the nitty gritty. Once you get in the nitty gritty, your eyes start to open. You go, oh my gosh, I see what's going on here. Uh, and the same is true, for example, you can talk about physics all you want, but if you don't get in the weeds with string theory, if you don't get in the weeds with quantum mechanics, you're just, you, 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 you're just, you can poo poo the theory all you want, but you gotta get into the weeds. And so, but it's daunting to get in the weeds because it's a complex and, and difficult theory to work with. Okay, enough said about that. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and give the diva question now. It's a good one. This is right up Walter's alley. Yeah, <laughs> I imagine. So here goes gang, here goes the audience. What diva of country Western fame made her film debut in nine to five? Again, what diva of country Western fame made her film debut in nine to five? There Is you that go. a movie or what? Okay. We, no, yes. Film debut means movie. Film <laughs> debut, Walter. <laughs> I tell you, you'd be a terrible student in yeah, my class. Yeah, I tell you. Yeah, He's not yeah, listening. Not paying attention. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do oral input enhancement for Walter. <laughs> what diva of country Western fame made her film debut in 9 to 5? I've never heard of that movie before, though. That's why I asked the question. I'm so Get sorry. Get out of here. It's a classic. A classic. Stars recently I can just guess who it is. Well, I won't because, okay. you know. Well, don't because people got to call in. Okay, speaking of calling in, we got another call on the line. We have Erica calling. Erica, are you on the line? Hi, yes, I am. Hey, Erica, sounds like you're in a car or an airplane or somewhere. Where are you? I am in a car. Hold one second. Is that... Oh. Hello. I think we Uh-oh, lost I you, Erica. Oh, I think we lost her. Oh, so she, she switched no, from No, hang on, hang on. There we go. Oh, okay. there, there we go. go. There we go. Yeah. Oh, yeah, can you, sounds better. I'm in a car. Yeah. My Bluetooth makes me sound like I'm underwater sometimes. So. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think we all have that problem in our cars. But what would we do with that Bluetooth? What would we do with that Bluetooth? I don't want you driving and talking. That's dangerous. So unless you can pull over or something. So be safe while you're doing all this. All right. I, I am. I'm good. Um, so, what, so what's well, up, yeah. Erica? Where are you calling from? You're calling from Michigan, it looks like. Yes, I am. Grand Rapids. Oh, well, great. Um, so, well, what's I just, up? I'm don't really have a question, just more of a comment. Um, I started listening to podcasts recently um, in the last few weeks or so, and so I've been binge listening, and I haven't had a chance to listen live and call in till now, so I figured I would give it a shot. I originally called in for the SLA question, but um, that was already addressed. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to say that I've been finding the show super helpful and very entertaining, and I think it's great what you guys are doing. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to call in and say that. Well, great, Erica. Thank you for saying those kind words. And because you call in, of course, you know, your name is going in the hat uh, for the drawing for my book at the end of the show. So there you go. Awesome. Great. All right. 
Well, thanks right, for then. calling, Thank Erica. Guys. We'll talk to you down the road. Okay, bye, Erica. Thanks Be for safe. calling, Erica. Bye. Yeah, it's um, I have to, speaking of driving, it's been foggy here all day today. It just I think the fog mm. might have lifted just like, well, actually, no, it was when I took Murphy out before the show, it was still foggy on the lake behind my house. I was like, oh, I'm scared. Like next week, I'm flying to Michigan, you guys. And, and if it's foggy, it's always foggy in the morning here in the, in the winter. And then it lifts usually by 10 or 11 o'clock. Hmm. But my flight's at 6 a.m. as usual. So if it's foggy, I may not be flying out. We'll see. Fingers crossed um, and thumbs pressed. There you go. So, but it's not foggy every day. It's like foggy a couple times a week. So if I'm lucky, I'll, I'll, um, I'll hit it right next week. Okay. Um, any mix of questions or um, Gmail questions before we go on and uh, take another call or see who's on the line? I've got a lovely Gmail question. Here we go. Oh, you do. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. This is from Hanny or Hani. Uh, she teaches Hebrew language at a junior high school in Los Angeles, and she has, uh, is doing her MA currently at Middlebury College, my alma mater. Yay! Nice. And um, so she is interested in the process of language acquisition, and she uh, is about to start writing her thesis and she's wanting some advice from you. Here is her, well, not really a question, but she's wanting advice. So here's what she says. I'm interested in the entire process of language acquisition. I enjoy the process that my students go through. I follow them religiously, and I'm proud of uh, them when they produce language. I'm interested in the process from the input to the output. Do you have any suggestions for me? So she's looking for suggestions. What type of research should she look into for writing her thesis? Oh, my gosh. Annie, that's a huge, big question. Well, I think a big question or a big, I mean, the first thing she could look at is your book on input to output, from input to output, right? So Yeah, she can. Um, that's a very expensive book, but maybe she can get out of the library. Um, my 2003 book that I published with McGraw-Hill called From Input to Output, A Teacher's Guide to Second Language Acquisition has a lot of, that's a nice overview, I think, of... Um, different aspects of acquisition in a condensed and, and, and short way. Um, and then with bibliography in it, so that you can then, once you get into the weeds there, you can like, hey, use the weeds twice again. Um, once you get into the, um, the bibliography, they take you to more expanded views of things and more detailed views and so on. Um, so that's a place to get your, um, your feet wet. Uh, another place is um, Greg... Um, Greg Keating's module in the route, the Routledge series that we co-edit, um, and that's relatively expensive because the modules are short, and they're available as e-modules, so you can download them immediately, and they cost like twelve bucks or something like that. So he has a module on second language acquisition. He does a nice overview in there, so that's good. Um, but a lot of it just depends on what you are interested in, what ultimately tickles your fancy. So, and it depends on how applied you want to be as well. I mean, because there's second language stuff that's just purely theoretical or research-based and methodological in the sense, methodological in the sense of research methodology. But then there's a the stuff of looking at applications of theories in SLA and, and what they mean for classroom use and so on. So, um, and that, that there's all kinds of other readings to do there too. So, but anyway, if you start, like Walter said, if you start with my book, that might be a good place. Um, and then, um, there are uh, my colleague, Sean Lowen, um, and his um, 
co-editor, I've come out with a, a brand new book from Routledge on instructed second language acquisition. It's a handbook. Um, you'd have to get that through the library because it's very big and it's kind of expensive, but it's a good handbook um, and different chapters on different things in there. So I could recommend that to you. There's, there's other different things I could recommend to you. Um, but again, you're going to have to just throw yourself into some reading and then see, oh my gosh, that's that that has my attention. That's what you got to do. And Hanny, if you have any more specific questions, we would be glad to entertain them. So feel free to send us an email at twithbvp at gmail.com. And thank you for that. <coughs> Excuse me. Here I am sucking on a cough drop, and I'm coughing anyway. All right. We have another caller on the line. We have caller uh, Reed. Reed, are you the caller on the phone? I'm here. Hey, Reed, where are you calling from? Calling from North Branch, Minnesota. North Branch. I have uh, St. Paul. Oh, 40 minutes. I was going to ask you where it is because I had no idea where it was. 40 minutes north. Okay. So uh, what you calling about, Reed? What's up today? I haven't been listening along. I just found some time at the end of my teaching day, but I have a question about placement tests. The situation is I have eighth graders for every other day for a trimester, and we usually, we've been giving them a placement test in May to go to high school. I'm wondering, if, is it better to give it at the end of each trimester or in May? Um, what's the purpose, again, of the, of, the, of the test to send them off to high school? Is that uh, what you're saying? So high school is like a, a 1A Spanish it's more, or more advanced and then for a regular class. Uh-huh. And so, and, and, and your question is whether to give, it's a, it's a placement test to go into a high school class and you teach middle school, right? So the question is right. when to give the test? Yeah, I get at the end of each trimester or everybody all at once in May. I know the ones in May would have more, where the third trimester would have more of an advantage than the ones that have, have it first try, but then we're wondering how accurate would the data be if we had them test at the end of each try. Okay, so let me just clarify. So they're only taking it for one of the trimesters, and they might take it early in the year, but they're only testing at the end of the year. Is that what you're asking? Exactly. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, um, I mean, ideally what you want is the test taken as close to placement time as possible. So for example, here at the college level, what we do is they, they take the placement test the summer before they get here. They come in, they go through academic advising in July and August, and they take the placement test before they enroll August classes. So, um, and that's just a standard procedure for placement. So you always try to get the placement as close to um, the time they enter a program as possible. Um, and so my recommendation would be based on that, just again, I don't, I don't know if there's research on this or not. Um, Angelica, you, through CELTA, I don't know if there's CELTA research on this or if you know of any research on placement testing, but um, but um, my recommendation would be that everybody take it toward the end of the year uh, if they're going to be placing for the following fall into high school. Yeah, I think that's, that's what we were thinking too, because if they took it now and then they know it really good now, but if it comes to September, they might forget it by then and be in their own class. Right, Exactly. So if, they, if they're finishing up a, a language class in the fall trimester and they're not taking any more language until they get to high school, then uh, you could have, they, they're, depending on what the placement test is like and what the classes are like, um, you could have a lapse of, of memory and things forgotten and so on, depending on, again, depending on what's tested now, it's tested. So, yep. so yeah, so I would, I would strongly recommend everybody take it in May, no matter, right. no matter so when much. they stop taking it. Okay. All right. You're welcome. Thanks, Reed. That was a good question. Thanks. And your name is going in the hat. Yep. Oh, drawing. 
Okay. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Great. Bye-bye, Reed. Bye, Reed. Thanks Hi, for Reed. calling. Okie dokies. Okay. So um, we're about to do our book drawing, but do we have time for a real quick question or mixer comment? I have or a another? quick one. Louise okay, is asking, do you think learning two languages at the same time can slow the acquisition of both? Of course. And it, we see that in bilingual children too. There's a, there's a slower, there's a later onset of, of certain developmental stages in bilingual kids. Um, by the time they get to a certain age, they're like everybody else. Um, so um, and it has to do with the amount of input you get. So if you're learning two languages at once, then you're splitting your time in input between two languages, and it just kind of slows the process down a little bit. But then you get to a point where you're, at least if you're children, you're fine. If you're an adult trying to learn two languages at the same time, and I don't know what the context of the question is, Angelica, but um, I yeah, imagine like it would a second, be the same thing. second and a third language, so not first and second. Yeah, um, it just you're devote you're you're taking time away from task uh, for one language compared to the other, um, and so it's going to slow things down. Not, not because there's anything wrong with learning two languages, it just means you're not getting as much input in one language because you're also getting input in a language that's just taking up time. Excellent. Thank you. Okie dokies. Well, that was a good question. Walter is currently uh, Luis. Luis. Okay. Well, Luis, that was a good question. Thanks. Okay. So Walter is currently drawing names out of a hat for the book. So this is the drum roll, please. Um, and our winner of the book today, Walter, is who? It is Erica from Michigan. Yay, Erica! Erica. From Michigan. Yay, Erica. Now, just to be sure, I watched Walter put his hand in the cookie jar, and he did not look. It's not that she's from Michigan, and we were getting a nope. This was a fair and square um, win for Erica. So I picked her name. It was, it was very fair. I, I just picked it. That's all. I know, but you know, in this day and age of things, I tell you, you have to be upfront and transparent about all this kind of stuff. Yep. So, all right. So we are, let's see, what time? Did we start late today or do we wrap up now? We did. You have about six more minutes. Do I really have six more minutes? Because mm-hmm. I'm being told to wrap up. But That's I think we right. can take, I could think we can, we, it's too late to take any calls because that will take too long to to chit chat with someone so how about an email question or a mixer question or something i have an email from pete and he's interested all right pete he's interested in your opinion of the pace model are you familiar with the pace model and if so if you could give your opinion on it please oh i probably shouldn't Because there are particular people associated <laughs> with the PACE model. It's not like a larger construct that you can talk about in the abstract. The PACE model is associated with particular people. And I think, I'll, I'll, just, say, I'll just say the following about the PACE model. Um, I think it's still, it's steeped, it's, it's too tied into explicit learning for my taste. Um, I'm not sure what the purpose of, of the PACE model is for grammar stuff. Um, because there is a preoccupation with the PACE model with the learners coming to be able to articulate and know the rule at the end. And that's not what acquisition's about. That's explicit classroom learning. So if the, if, if, if the idea, if your idea is explicit learning, then the PACE model is good, I think. Um, but um, if, your, if your idea is something else, then um, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure. And I could be, I could be, maybe I misread the PACE model, but 
I've read like three, four articles on the PACE model. Um, and uh, so that's, that's my take on it. And also the way it's talked about uh, in presentations. So um, that's what I think. That's All right, there you have it. And so now I will begin the wrap-ups. It's <laughs> like, no more questions, no more questions after that one. No, no, that's not fine. I didn't mind that <laughs> I'm just looking at the clock, and I think we're going to be running out of time soon. So, well, we made it through November 30th. Tomorrow's December 1st. So we're going to wish everybody a happy December. And, and Daniela, start- happy birthday. Well, I was just going to say our first <clears throat> thank yous always go to our technical producer, birthday boy, Daniel Tregos. Uh, everybody shout out in through Mixler land and everywhere else. Happy birthday to Dan Trago. We always thank, yeah, right. We always thank our media producer, Luca Giappone, for all the great job he he does on our PR work and Trello and everything else he does with us. Um, The talented and trusted call handler, Dustin DeFelice. And of course, our assistant production managers, the able-bodied Robin and Batman of Behind the Screens, (laughs) Chad Bosley and Ryan Stuck. Actually, they're both Robin. They're both boy Robins when you think about it because... Else <laughs> they were not happy about that comment. <laughs> I'm sure they just made a face at me through the mirror. We'd like to thank the College of Arts and Letters at Michigan State University, especially our Dean, Christopher Long. And as a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, or any other official entity of Michigan State University. And, of course, we thank everybody who called in today and all our listeners out there for um, keeping us in your minds and in your thoughts about second language acquisition and teaching. So, with that, our music starts, which means that we will be back next week. I will be in the studio with Walter and Angelica live next week. Yay! We are done with our countdown, so we'll have a new topic for next week. And that will be announced Monday in our newsletter. So, until then, happy weekend, everybody, and happy second language acquisition. Auf Wiedersehen. Bis nächste Woche. Exactly. Bye, everybody. 